0: Hi, thanks so much for joining us for our blog this week. We are going to continue our journey on talking about strategy games. This is Shannon from sisforteachers.org. This week's blog, we're going to talk about how you could implement and bring strategy games into your classrooms. Teachers, especially in our um, M-Cube schools, which stands for Molding Math Mindsets, project schools have been really raving about the game tutorial videos that we've been providing on our website So by popular demand, the series will continue through February, and we will continue adding to our tutorial library. Most of the time in our math workshop, the games that we bring kids for their math with someone stations are usually connected to the content we're teaching. So for example, if you were teaching multiplying decimals to fifth grade, we'd want the students to be playing corresponding standard-based games that would help solidify that concept but this week we're going to approach math games a bit differently and bring you three games that don't actually have to do with any actual area in math, for example, like multiplication or addition. Instead, these games are designed to help kids become more strategic in our thinking and sort of help them to string some of the strategy games that they've been doing um, to kind of really take these strategy games and sort of thread them throughout your math workshop. As um, As we know, We've discussed before, students in the 21st century are really suffering from that disease of entitlement and instant gratification. As a result of having answers and information really at their fingertips from Siri or YouTube, they don't typically have to put a whole lot of effort into anything that involves mental challenge. Unfortunately, a lot of our students just want the answers. They really just want the shortcuts. They want to just have you tell them what to do, and then they can do it. However, we need students to really think, right? We need them to be critical thinkers and innovators so we can help them learn to flex their mental muscles. Strategy games in the math centers are the perfect starting place. These games give a chance for students to use their metacognition as they think through different scenarios in order to be successful and win the game. This ties into the eight mathematical practices. You can get your free download of the eight math practices placemat for early childhood or the poster for elementary in our store from our county. These standards have raised the rigor in our curriculum and the demands that students go beyond just regurgitation of information. Not only must students know the answer, but they also have to be able to explain why they know what they know. A note on strategies. These are strategies involved in these games. As these videos were designed for students to learn to play the game, they will not give away the strategy in the tutorial. We recommend how to do the same as you interact with your students in the game. Explaining the strategy to the student, meaning like how to win, truly really shuts off their metacognition. They're, we want them to be able to you know, use these for repeated practices. We want your students to self-discover these strategies and tips on their own as they play. Our first game up is Rotten Apple. Rotten Apple helps kids to question their metacognition as they play through possible scenarios. They do a little bit of predicting to decide what their partner might do if they make a certain move, and then they would decide how they might react in the end. The game is incredibly simple. That's one of the reasons why I love it. It's designed... It doesn't really involve a game board, which is great, nothing to copy. It just involves the materials of 13 counters. If I'm playing in the classroom, I like to use two-sided counters because they usually show us which apples are good, so kind of like the 12 red ones, and which ones might be rotten. I usually flip the last one over to be the yellow side. If you're playing at home, you could certainly play with pennies and maybe have the nickel be rotten apple. You could even use M&Ms or Oreos or anything that you could have 12 of one thing and maybe one thing that might look a little bit different. I vividly remember playing this with my son Connor at restaurants. We would use sugar packets as the good apples and we would pull out a sweet and low as the rotten apple. Um, He would oftentimes want to play against the waitresses that we were uh, waiting for at the restaurant, which was quite fun. You can play this game as young as four years old and all the way up through adults. To play, you're going to lay the apples down in front of both players. You decide who goes first. The more they play, students might decide the strategy that they're choosing to go first or maybe to go second. Don't really push them into going first or second, let them kind of play an experiment. On their turn, a player can choose one, two, or three apples, which are really counters. The next player can take one, two, or three apples. You continue to take turns until the apples of one player loses or is stuck with that last apple known as the rotten apple. That's it. Those are the basics. But as you know, uh, you and i know it's not that simple it's it's completely up to each player and how many apples they take students need to learn to watch and see how many counters remain in the pile as it starts to dwindle they'll need to play through different scenarios to see which will what will happen if they make certain moves after a period of continuous play we'll have the kids come up with the strategies that they think will make it where they would always be able to win or avoid being able to have that rotten apple last. Most kids will discover in the first few rounds of play that when the rotten apple and four counters are left, if it's their turn, they've lost and they give up. I'll prompt their thinking, however, and ask why they would say that. We want them to process and come up with a conclusion something like this. Well, there's one rotten apple and four regular counters left, so if I pull one, my partner will pull three, and I'll be left with the rotten apple. Or if I pull two, my partner's going to pull two and I'll be left with the rotten apple. Same as if I pull three and my partner will, pulls one, I will still be stuck with the rotten apple. That kind of thinking starts a discussion of why that's happening. Some students will have different theories which you which you know you really want the kids to kind of percolate and share out with the whole class. Well, I think if you go hurt first, you'll always win. Okay, let's try it. The whole class pairs up and we kind of see the person goes first, do they always win? No. They don't. Well, I think if you go second, you always win. Let's test that out. By testing out their series, you are not auto-correcting or giving them the correct answer, but you're letting the students come up with the hypothesis and allow them to test it out to see if it's true. Some students might notice that if it's something to do with odd or even polls during your turn. Okay, so you say, tell me more about that. And they have the theory that as they are going, that they might think that they, why they think that odd or even pull might help them win. In the end, you never really want to, you know, reveal the secret to the students. To you, the readers of the blog, we want to tell you that there is a mathematical reasoning as to how you can always win the rotten apple. But does it matter if you go first or second? That's for you to discover as you play. Our next game up is Nine Holes. This game is very similar to Tic-Tac-Toe in many ways, except for one important part. There are no ties, or what I call cat's game. You always have a winner in nine holes, and the bonus is it really causes students to question their metacognition. Simplicity is another perk of this game. You can print the game board on our Strategy Games download, now only for $10 in our store, or you can make which comes with all of our strategy games, or you can make your own board pretty simple at a restaurant or a doctor's office in the waiting room or even in your classroom on a dry erase board. Draw a large square. Put a large plus sign in the middle to create four boxes. Why is it called nine holes when there's only four boxes or areas? Well, you actually get to play on the intersections of the lines in the game. That's the nine holes where you play and you place your counters on the intersections of the line in each of the four corners, in the middle, or where the lines meet on the border. I also like to play with two-sided counters, but you could also play with clear counters. You could play with pennies and nickels. Cheerios and Cheez-Its, it's it's up to you. To play, each player starts with their three counters on their colored counter along the side of the board. You're going to take turns putting the counters one at a time on the intersections of the game board, trying to get three in a row, vertically, diagonally, or even horizontally. Typically, the game is like Tic-Tac-Toe when you play your counter... In tic-tac-toe you're usually stuck and you can't move it. In nine holes you can continuously move your counters around if you realize you need to block a partner or maybe you're trying to get three in a row. You continue placing counters until you have three in a row in the on the game board. If a student's blocking if if a student is blocking somebody with a counter but they kind of take the move to help them get the three in a row, they might have to be careful. So if I had a counter and I was blocking my partner from being three in a row and I wanted to grab that counter off and put it in another place, I have to be careful because I'm actually opening up a place for my partner to come in to take the win. One of the things I like about nine holes is it can help kids to really question themselves and start to think through different scenarios. If I do this, what will happen? If I do this, then that will happen. What if I put my counter here? Would that work better? They can kind of play out the scenarios in their head to see if they can get three in a row. Sometimes the strategy might be done in a defense the whole time. You might be trying to always prevent yourself from, you know, your partner not getting three in a row. Other times you might find yourself more on the offense. Sometimes you play and someone wins quickly with really you not even realizing it. But you both, you know, because you're both kind of looking at the game board so strategically. Nine holes also has a level two option that I've kind of created to make it more complex for students. Sometimes they might become bored with the game and you want to add a little bit of differentiation. The only change to the basic play is the way you move the counters. In level two, instead of being able to pick your counter up and move it anywhere on the board, you can only slide them on the line on another empty nine hole. whole. You you can't go diagonally in this case, you only can move on the line segments. This really introduces a whole new level of complexity that students really inquire to have an additional layer of strategy. Between you and me, it has a lot to do with how you first put the counters on the board. Students have to strategically think about where they're going to play their first counter and then think through the subsequent moves. Our last game up in the blog is across the pond. This game is amply named because the game board looks just like a pond. Think of lily pads and logs. The frogs that sit on the lily pads, pads which are the green squares on the pond, each player has five frogs represented their five counters, or five of the same object to sit on one line of the pond. The goal is to get your frogs across the pond first. To play, you're going to line up your five frogs on either side of the pond. Obviously, you want to use different objects, whether it's the two-sided counters or something else that can differentiate your frogs from your partner's frogs. Players take turn to move the two frogs in the same direction. It can be any direction, diagonal, forward, backwards, left, or right, but it must be in the same direction for both frogs. You can't jump frogs like you can jump in checkers. Only one frog may occupy the space at a time. If the space is occupied, find somewhere else to move. Logs, which are brown spaces on the game board, are dead spots the frogs cannot hop onto. The first player to get their five frogs across the pond wins. The complexity of this game comes in with the eight math practices because students are taking turns to play and have to be aware that all the frogs get across the game board. They have to be forward thinking to look at where their frogs are on the pond and the relationship to where their opponents. Do they they play offense and decide how they're going to go to the next move to get to the other side, or are they more defensive and are kind of protective other lily pads on the opponent so they can't get to the other side? To differentiate this game and to make it easier while students are learning, start with just moving one frog at a time across the pond. So it would kind of be level one, moving one frog across the pond and seeing what different strategies there might be. When students are ready for quite a bit more complexity, move on to level two, as it's described in the directions, playing with the full rules of the game, which is moving two frogs in the same direction at the same time. This will be a great game to add to your repertoire. Remember that strategy games are an important part of math workshop. You don't want to just have number games or games that are placeholders or busy work while students are in math workshop. It is a question of quality versus quantity. Make sure you compare any of your games to the criteria that I've outlined in Shannon's top five tips on my my website. One of the tips for this reason is that we love strategy games so much is that the games are involving the eight mathematical practices, or some of you call those the process standards. Our students um, need more practice in becoming strategic and playing through these scenarios to figure out the next move that will be more successful. Join us next week. I can't wait to tell you more about our newest products, the MathMite Pencil Toppers and Addition and Subtraction Dice. We'll be showcasing different kinds of games that you could play with them, either in your math with someone station or even with your whole class that will allow kids to show off their different strategies they know. Thanks so much for joining us.